The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation, a podcast series dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, looking like a fucking Sasquatch and scary as shit. <laughs> You're just jealous. Tammy Underwood. You can kiss my ass over there, Tammy. That's all I gotta say. Kiss my ass. Hi, everybody. He's jealous. He can't, he can't handle it. <laughs> Don't like you anymore. Okay, it's not my fault that your ex-wife, who you're really good friends with, said that she loves me more than you. Um, yeah, there's that. And then there's other things. You know what I like about you? Not a goddamn thing. You, That's what I like. You might not like me, but you love me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so go for it. Anyways, okay. My guy today is, oh, I didn't check this out. Let me check one thing today. His name is Gary Heidnick. Okay. Now, of course, my computer is going to be very slow for me today, even though I closed out most of my windows. Don't have nearly as many open as your son. not even freaking ready to do the podcast. I am yet. ready. Is I'm that, saying no, it right now. Like, God dang, man. Okay, that's it. I had it in there and I made a mistake. I apologize. That's how Jake was born. <laughs> that you had it in there and you made a mistake. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you like that? Okay. I did. Take, way to go. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Go. Be okay. <laughs> I can't even right now. Okay, anyways. <laughs> um, this is a case of what some, well, actually more like many people consider to be the case of the real Silence of the Lambs. Hello, Clarice. Uh, no, they actually. Tell me, he's are the lambs still Buffalo screaming? Bill or whatever his name was. Um, although, Wait, are we, we go- talking like the Buffalo Bill end of Silence yes. of the Lambs? Or are we not, talking Hannibal Lecter? No, not Hannibal Lecter. Oh, man, see, although I, th- I do make reference to Hannibal Lecter a little later. I think you're going to have something cool, like you know, he you know tricked him into cutting out his own face off or something like oh, that. No, that would be freaking badass. Way weirder, way weirder. All right, go for it. Anyways, although. If we go by the true textbook definition of serial killer, we wouldn't be featuring this one. However, with yet with only the two murder victims, I found this case on my list. Notice I said murder victims. Yeah, that's because Gary Heidnick, or Brother Bishop, as some called him, was well on his way to having more than just two murder victims. Well, well on his way. Sweet. Hey, yeah. I like a guy who takes pride in his shit. That's all yeah, I'm saying. well. Okay, as a child, Gary Heidnick was born on November 22nd, 1943, and he was raised just outside of Cleveland, Ohio, in Eastlake. Shortly after his younger brother, Terry, was born, his parents got a divorce. Um, Heidnick was still quite young as himself. I read in some accounts that he was still a baby. Others said he was a toddler. Now, he could have been an Irish twin where they were exactly like 13 months apart. Okay, look, I'm old as shit, so everybody who is, like, under 35... Is a baby to you? Is a baby. I don't, I don't, yeah, you don't well. understand, kid, what it's like. <laughs> I have to stand out here and wife beater and my, my short shorts with my balls hanging out, yelling, get off my lawn. Fighting a tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Remember, it's illegal to fight a tree with a shirt on in Florida. You gotta take your fucking shirt off in order That's to fight true. it or fuck it. I was just listening to Joshua it. Phillips today. Yeah, you, you either fight it or fuck it. 
You got to take your shirt off. <laughs> Whatever. So, anyways, um, no matter they were both very young when they and they both went to go stay with their father to be raised by him and his new wife. Okay. Uh, what happened to mom? They got a divorce. Mom and dad got divorced, and wasn't like she died or anything no, shit like that. No, it was just it, like, nothing more is mentioned of his mother. Okay, I, I, I thought find. that I'd missed something there for no. a second, like because I, I heard the divorce part. Yeah. No, that's it. Okay. Yeah, that's all I could find. Um, now, as a child, as he grew up, he often wet the bed. Um, his th- father either thought the best way to punish him and perhaps prevent it from happening again was to embarrass him about it. So he would hang the dirty sheets outside the young boy's window so everyone in the neighborhood could see that he still wet the bed at his age. I think that's a very common thing with parents that aren't of, like, before our generation. Yeah. Because, like, my mom tried doing that to me because she caught me, she caught me, this is going to sound very Scott, but I'm, I'm not even making a joke. She caught me jerking off. Okay. So... She made fun of me for fucking years. Does she still? No. Damn. But, but things had changed because so um, I go to pick up my son. He's like 16 years old, right? Um, and he's 18 now. And my mom takes me aside and goes, hey, you need to talk to Jacob. I'm like, what about? So kind of walked in on him jerking off. You got to have that talk. So, okay, no problem. So instead of, you know, like humiliating him, we're driving back. And I wait till about the time we hit about Reno-ish. Yeah. So, Grandma caught you jerking off, huh? And dead fucking silent. Dead silent. Like, all you heard was crickets. Creak, 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 creak. <laughs> the thump, thump of the tires on the pavement. <laughs> Pretty much. I go, dude, every guy in the world jerks off. Yeah, I even jerk off. But now there's new rules. Number one, wash your own fucking sheets and you do your own laundry. And I'm going to knock on your door one time. And if you don't come out for dinner... That's your own problem. I'm going to assume you're either sleeping or jerking off. I don't want to know. I'm not walking in your fucking room because that's the last thing. I I love my son, but I don't want to walk in on him going, oh, yeah. You don't want to walk in on him beating the meat? Because he's weird and he's probably looking at something like freaking anime porn with goddamn UFOs coming out of somebody's (laughs) butthole. Give me something fucking weird. Dude, he's standing in front of me. I don't need these visions. (laughs) You like that? Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah, no, so I kind of... that's what I was pointing out. It's, it's very common, I think, of, of older parents that do that. Anyway. Right. There was also one time when the, he fell out of his a tree when he was little. And as a result of that fall, he had what some claim to be an odd-shaped head. Like now, a football? See, I didn't see anything odd about it in the pictures, but maybe I just wasn't looking. Just wonder if it's like, hey, Arnold? No, you know, like, no, like not a at all. No, or... it wasn't sideways. It wasn't Phineas and Ferb. It was not okay. that. Oh, no, I, yeah. Yeah, I hate when they do that. They consider him having an odd shape head. Now I'm looking at that at pictures going, it doesn't look yeah, odd. Yeah, it, it looks didn't like a regular look odd to me, but head. then it's like you're not seeing 3D either. Uh, maybe in the you back know, he had like an extra arm growing out of it. That's all. Yeah, no, I didn't see anything like that. So this was dude, this was the particular deformity that caused the bullies in his school to torment him. Apparently. Bastards. Yeah, and so despite the misshapen head, though, he was by no means underdeveloped mentally. He was a good student academically, and it's later stated that he had an IQ of over 148. Oh, okay. Cool. He just didn't have many, if any, friends at all. Okay, now, when Heidnik 
was an adult in 1957, he enrolled at the Staunton Military Academy. The academy was located in Virginia, and he would stay there for only two years. For some reason, he left just before he graduated. He would go back to high school a little later, but he wouldn't stay there very long either. When he left the second time, he immediately joined the Army. Okay. Now, with the highly regimented program, within a year, Heidnik Heidnik was excelling far beyond what he did previously. Um, He would constantly receive praise from his drill sergeant, but despite the success and the praise, every time he applied for one of the specialist roles, he was rejected. After the first year, he was sent to train as a medic in San Antonio, and he would be transferred one more time to Landstuhl, West Germany. While working in the Army Hospital there, Heidnik finally got his GED. You know, you almost became a freaking Nazi there for a minute. (sighs) I expect, you know, a little Zieg Heil or something like that. Were you almost a little proud of me there, Dieter? Yes, Yes, I was. I was thinking, hell, uh, Fräulein Tammy was going to come to my side of the force, and we would hunt the Jews together. Secretly scared she's related to Hitler. And, (laughs) uh, you know, she she will admit that she is a a relation to our good uh, Adolf Hitler. And then, then... we will hunt Jews together. That's all I am saying. That's all I am yeah. saying. See, and I'm wondering if his lack of promotion was due to him not having a an edu- you know, a degree, you know what I mean, a diploma or anything. It could have been a personality or, thing. Yeah, and, I was going to say, here's or what, it could have been personality. Like, I have worked with people like other musicians and shit like that that are fan-fucking-tastic at what they do. Like, I got I look at him and go, God damn, man, you got some fucking skills. But they got the personality of a goddamn angry rock. <laughs> angry rock, not a wet mop. Not a wet, wet mop. They're, they're just pricks. They're fucking assholes. Right. And it did mention that it was the highly regimented program that caused him to excel, which means he had to have that structure. Right. And I think when you say highly reg- regimented, once again, think about my son. He's got ADD, ADHD. Right. And he does great. And he thrives with structure. Yeah, structure mm-hmm. and, a, and 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 a routine. Boom! But you take him out of that, and it gets difficult. Right. So I can kind of see why they would say, "Um, you do a great job," but these worlds that you're applying for, they 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 might be self motivated type things. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, however, sometime in 1962. Heidink began to experience excruciating headaches. Um, he, would, he would report later that they were often accompanied by blurry vision and extreme nausea, which to me states migraine. Oh, totally. However, he did go see a doctor about them, and he, doctor, diagnosed him with gastroenteritis. The fuck does that have to do with having a That's goddamn headache said. of vomiting? That's retarded. How, but then... The main symptoms of gastroenteritis would be, of course, the extreme watery diarrhea and vomiting. However, one might also experience stomach cramping, fever, and headaches. So, Hmm. it's possible, but I'm not seeing the excruciating part of a headache. You know what I mean? Right. He was also seen by a neurologist who stated Heidnik had symptoms of a mental illness and wrote him a prescription for the antipsychotic medication, tri- 
Triflorperazine. I was going to say try pronouncing it. No. <laughs> Fuck off. I knew I was going to, like, I had it all in my head. And then as soon as I saw it, I went, eh, that's not it. It's called Triflorperazine. And the common brand name for this medication is tel- Stelazine. It's used to treat various mental and mood itch- issues, but especially <laughs> schizophrenia and related psychotic disorders. Oh, okay. Basically, it's like a Thorazine. Right. That's just it. Like a like like Thorazine or like lithium. Yeah. Lithium kind of, does yeah, the same thing. Or I I would always say you know the Thorazine or the um. Well, without knowing what grouping it is actually. Well, I think because it's a zine, I would assume that it is a Thorazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Anyways, because usually they have the same postfix. I don't know. It's not prefix, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, anyways, so this medication also helps a person think clearer, feel less nervous, and allows them to function in everyday life. It's been known to reduce aggressive behavior as well as the desire to harm oneself or others. And some peop- some doctors will prescribe it to help decrease a pac- patient's hallucinations. So it is... You know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Later that same year, Heidnick himself was admitted to a military hospital. This one is located in Philadelphia. And while he was there, he was diagnosed with a schizoid personality disorder. Okay. After receiving this diagnosis, Heidnick received an honorable discharge from the army and was discharged from the hospital. When he left, he enrolled at the University of Philadelphia, uh, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania, where he wanted to become a nurse. Um, not long after he enrolled, he dropped out and would work a host of nursing-related jobs. Time out. This is a Friday episode, yes. right? I'm just making sure because I yeah. got really fucking confused. No, because his You're crimes saying, have nothing to do with well, the fact that, well, that I mean, that's why. Because you know, because usually when we go into this is where they got their training as a no, nurse. No, I mean it might have a tail end aspect to it, but nothing. Okay, because usually, like I said, when usually when we start off that way, it ends up with, and then he put insulin into somebody's <laughs> IV or, or line arsenic. Or, or arsenic. Or bleach. Oh, that's right. We had bleach or down the, we only had one that did down the throat, though. Yeah, we only had one that used bleach on the throat. The other one put it in the yeah. dialysis line. So that's why my brain went, wait a minute. No. I think we're on the wrong fucking Mm-mm. day here, sugar tits. I'm not dumb. I know what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. Calm down, okay. ma'am. Calm down. Not long after he enrolled, he dropped out and worked a host of nursing-related jobs. One of those jobs was at the Veterans Administration in Coatesville. Then, in 1967, he began a like a semi-nursing-type position at the Elwin Institute. This was a hospital for adults and children that were considered mentally underdeveloped. Okay. Kind of like my brother Philip. Huh? Kind of like my brother Philip. I don't know him, so I cannot neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) Okay, there's something else in Heidnick's life that is important to note right now. Throughout his adult life, both he and his brother Terry would spend time in and out of psychiatric hospitals, and both of them would also attempt to commit suicide multiple times. It's more of a hereditary type of a thing, then. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, that, that would make the most sense. Yeah. But, like I said, he worked in this Elwin institution. He was not a patient there. Now, in 1971, at 28, Heineck decided he wanted to form a church. So he did. He did not call it the Church of the Mighty Majestic Mountain Cow. But it should he be. But he did call it the United Church of the Ministers of God. Brothers and sisters, as we roll on with this, always remember, the Church of the Mighty Majestic Mountain Cow 
ran by Reverend Beauregard Vine. You can call him Bo, Reverend Bo Vine, is here for you. Power the moo to you and be praised by the moo. Are you done with your PSA? And brothers and sisters, we're going to read okay, no, we the, are Cal- not. the book of Calrithians. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> Anyways, he when he oh, when he started this church, he amassed maybe five followers, and they began calling him Brother Bishop. It was also around that time that he opened an account with the bank Merrill Lynch in the church's name. He started the account with only $1,500. This account, by the time he was arrested, would amass $500,000 in it, which is around $5.4 million in today's standards. See? You see why I want to open up my own fucking church? You see that? That's exactly why. Because yeah. people will fucking give you money. Like, literally, there's a church in Vegas, and I think it is actually called the Church of Bacon or something like that. I can't remember about it, but it's ran by, uh, 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 you know, Penn and Teller. Yeah. I think it's by Penn. Oh, okay. Penn. And they actually say, this isn't a real church. We have nothing to do with any God. And people go, I'm going to donate money. Yeah. Just saying. I can become a multi-bajillionaire. Well, you know. By my own fucking eye. Hi, Nick. It was also at this time when Heidnick began dating as normal men do. However, his girlfriend, Gail Linko, was said to have a diminished capa- mental capacity. Those are the peas in the pod. Yeah. So when they had a son together a little later. That a retard. This son was put into foster care right almost as soon as he was born. And the reason was due to Gail's mental state at the time. They didn't feel that she was capable of taking care of a child. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's actually a responsible thing to do. Right. A short time later, he met a lady by the name of Anjanette Davidson. She and her sister, Alberta, were actually both patients at one of the mental facilities he worked in. He began dating Anjanette and would soon have a daughter with her. However, huh, she's crazy. I know she's crazy. Yeah. What could go wrong? I mean, really, what could go wrong? I'd... Scott, you have to ask yourself that. Uh, that's actually a good fucking point. I know. Okay. That's a really, okay. Yeah, continue. That's a good point. <laughs> I know. You're like point person. I'm not, I, you know what? I'm not going to fault Gary for that. Sorry. Sorry, Gary. I'm sorry because, um, yeah, I, okay. I feel your pain, brother. Yeah. However, as was the case with Gail, their child was taken into foster care right after her birth because Anjanette's mental state of her mental state during that time. Now, sometime in 1978, Heidnick signed Alberta out of the institution she was housed in. This is Anjanette's sister. He signed her out on a day pass, but ended up taking her back to his house. Once he had her there, he kept her captive in the basement. While she was his captive, he repeatedly raped and sodomized her. Holy shit. She was eventually found. When authorities arrived at Heidnick's house, they located Alberta, and she was shackled behind a disposal unit in his basement. They returned her to the institution, and where it didn't take long for them to find out the totality of the assault he inflicted upon her. Instead of being locked behind bars for these actions, he managed to be incarcerated in an institution for four years. Okay, hold on. Uh, let me tell you why that's retarded. That is his dating pool. I know, right? Like, okay, you wouldn't lock me in an old folks home. Oh, God, no. No. But, you would, so you shouldn't lock him in a fucking uh, goddamn mental institution. Yeah, no. that's the chicks that he's after. Yeah. Stupid, man. So he was there for four years, and he was released in April of 1983. 
While he was incarcerated during that four-year time frame, Anjanette vanished. To this day, there are some that believe he was somehow involved, if not completely responsible for her disappearance in some way. Okay? Heidnick, when he got out, Heidnick bought a house at 3520 North Marshall Street in 1984. Okay? Um, once he purchased the house, he began to run his church services out of the living room. He laid out the church's belief to new attendees and the congregation began to grow. The following year, 1985, Heidnick met 22-year-old Betty Disto, and she became his wife. Betty was a Filipino native, and they met through a classified ad he had placed. Uh, I moved my mouse. There we go. Um, through a classified ad he had placed. After she answered his ad, she moved to Philadelphia to be with him, and they were married approximately one month later. Thank you. Um, they were married in Elkton, Maryland, and almost from the moment they said, I do, the relationship began to sour. Um, one of the main reasons their marriage was doomed to fail was because he couldn't stop having sex with multiple women. Not only was he choosing to have sex with other women, he often forced her to take part in it. She even had him arrested at some point for spousal rape and physical assault. Needless to say, their marriage didn't last very long. God damn. Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah. A few months after they were married, Betty was able to escape him. She enlisted the help of people in the Philadelphia's Filipino community. And in September of that year, while she was safely away from the man, she gave birth to a son who she named Jesse John Disto. Okay. It's like an outlaw name right there. I know, right? That sounds like he should be going in, going. This is a hold up, an old, you know, Western garb, uh, six know. shooter blazing and shit. I think so, but Robin no. stagecoaches. Yeah. So, um, Thanksgiving of 1986, twenty-five-year-old uh, Josefina Rivera found that she couldn't afford to put food on the table anymore, so she made the decision to work the streets. Before leaving that night. She had a fight with her boyfriend, and as she stormed out of the house, she climbed into a white Cadillac, and Heidnick was the John behind the wheel. The two of them went somewhere, had some sex, and he paid for her services. A short time later, the two of them went to McDonald's fast food restaurant in the area, and he purchased a coffee. When they got back in the car, he informed her that he wanted to take her back to his place and have more sex. She said, okay, he's paying me. He's probably going to pay me again. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so once they arrived at his place, she noticed there were some strange things. Could it have been a hacksaw and chains and things to bind her to a wall? No, not yet. Oh, not, whoa, not yet. I was just... <laughs> you were just that. making stuff up, weren't you? Thought I you was. Were being funny. Yeah. Anyways, he... She noticed that the key that he used to open the door was rather odd. This particular key looked as if it had been cut into two pieces lengthwise, and the ridge side of it was already inside the lock mechanism. To unlock the door and gain access, the other part of the key, the smooth part, had to be inserted as well. Yet, there, you know, that might, you know, it's really weird how it all came about, how they were describing. I'm like, I don't think I understand, but I kind of do. Um, if Josefina thought that part was odd, she found the inside even more bizarre. 
he had pennies adhered to the walls downstairs. What's wrong with that? It's it's strange, but you know, okay, it gets even own. weirder. The walls upstairs were plastered with five dollar bills. He had very little furniture, all of which was broken, and the only things he seemed to own that worked were a single television set and a tape player. Oh, he lived at the White Pines Hotel in fucking <laughs> Ely. Now I'm going to get sued by him. Well, they probably don't have attorneys, so I feel pretty I safe. I was going to say, are you worried? No. Are you worried at Not all? Not exactly. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you're allowed to leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my constant review on that place. Yeah. Um, the two went into the main bedroom where they once again engaged in sex. After they were done, Josephina stood up to get dressed. When she turned her back on the man, he grabbed her around the neck and started choking her. As she grabbed at his hands and begged for him to stop and let her go, he let go of her neck long enough to slap some handcuffs on her wrist. Once he had her handcuffed, he pushed her down the basement stairs and left her there. Oh, damn. I thought it was going to be like she turns around and said, look, that's extra. We need to talk about that first. (laughs) No, dude. You've got to pay extra for that in Thailand. Just saying. Well, they're not in Thailand. They're in Philadelphia. Hey, same thing. So he left the house after he threw her in the basement and returned a short time later carrying a spade and other digging equipment. Once he had all the stuff downstairs, he started to dig a hole in the floor of the basement. As he dug the hole, he informed her that he was going to grow his family, quote unquote family, and and to do that, he had to capture at least 10 women for his quote unquote harem. Holy shit. Yeah. Psycho much there, Gary? Yeah. Apparently, a few days later, Josephina made an attempt to escape. She found a small window in the basement and managed to lift herself halfway through it. At that point, she began to scream in the hopes of getting somebody's attention. The only one to answer her cries was Heidnik himself. Oh, that's fucked up. He then brought a radio to the basement, turned it to a rock station, and adjusted it to full volume. That would ensure nobody would hear her screams in the future. Okay. When Heidnik left the house that time, Josephina was cold and alone. She decided to make a note each time an hour passed until he returned. He was gone a full 27 hours, and when he returned, he was not alone. Okay? I'm now. Pick, I'm picking up. I hear you chirping, Big Bird. I know. You're picking it up now? Picking up what you're laying Sandra down. Sandra Lindsay was a 25-year-old patient at Elwin Institute. There's a shocker. While Sandy was at the specialist hospital, Heinick raped her and she became pregnant. She chose to have an abortion. When he discovered this, he offered to pay her if she would get pregnant again and have his child. She flat out said, nope, not happening, big guy. Yeah, no shit, huh? Yeah. So, since Heidnick didn't seem to want to take no for an answer, he abducted her from the Institute. When he got her back to his house, he raped both women. And when he was finished, he took the digging tools and widened the hole. There he kept both Sandy and Josephina trapped. Okay. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was a wide hole. It was more like tall and very narrow. Jesus. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's what I said. The next day, Sandy's cousin actually went to his house looking for her. When they arrived, he refused to answer the door. And when they didn't get a response from anybody, the cousins just left. That night, he forced Sandy to write a letter to her mother. In the letter, she stated she had left the facility on her own and she would call once she got a chance. Heidnick then took the letter, drove all the way to New York before he placed it in the mail. Okay? 
Sandy's mother refused to believe that her, son, her daughter simply left. She filed a missing persons report and gave the authorities Heidnick's address. She told them her belief that Heidnick was holding her daughter captive. In addition to the letter, Sandy's mother also received a Christmas card that had $5 inside. So both of these articles of correspondence led the authorities to believe that she did just simply run away. <coughs> okay. In the next several weeks, the two women were held by Heidnick, noticed something about his demeanor. His behavior was becoming more and more disturbed and his actions were becoming more erratic. He never relented in his brutal beatings and his vicious rape. And he kept Josephine and Sandy naked in the hole in his basement. So they were forced to huddle together to stay warm. He also gave them very little to eat or drink. So they were starving and dehydrated. So they were dying a slow, painful death. That, this is just more and more fucked up. Oh, it's not even close to being done. Damn. Well, I'm close to being done, but it's not close, you know. Yeah. December 22nd, Heidnick decided to do a little Christmas shopping of his own. Well, more like Christmas hunting. He found 19-year-old Lisa Thomas when she was walking towards a friend's house. He pulled his white Cadillac up beside her, and assuming she was a prop- prostitute, he propositioned her. Lisa was, in fact, not a hooker, so she was angry with his assumptions. Realizing he had to do something quickly, he apologized and offered her a ride. Heidnick told her that he would take her anywhere she wanted to go, and since she was, he was driving such a fancy car, she accepted his offer. Heinick then took Lisa to her friend's house, and since she wasn't going to be there very long, he waited for her. When she was finished and returned to the car, he took her out for dinner. While they were eating, he turned to her and said, Hey, you want to go with me to Atlantic City tomorrow? Yeah. Lisa was taken aback by his bold suggestion, so she tried to put him off by saying she didn't have anything to wear. So, to remedy that problem, he took her to Sears to go shopping. He then took her back to his place. He gave her a glass of wine that he had drugged. With the glass of wine in hand, the both of them sat down to watch a movie on his television. When she came to, Heidnick had her naked and he was dragging her to his bedroom where he proceeded to rape her. After he was done raping her, he led her to believe she was just going to, he was just going to let her go. As she stood to get dressed... He grabbed her from behind and started choking her. He eventually managed to slap some handcuffs around her wrists before he carried her down to the basement. Once he had her down there, he simply threw her in the hall alongside Josephine and Sandy. Getting a little crowded in there. Yeah, you would think so. So, Deborah is next. Two weeks later, uh, actually two full weeks didn't even pass before Heidnick added one more woman to his growing harem. When Heidnick abducted 19-year-old Deborah Dudley, she fought him relentlessly every step of the way. She even fought him after he threw her into his harem pit. Holy shit, she's a strapper. I like her. You know what? I could just picture it. As a result, she was beaten viciously. And not long after arrival, all of the women that were held captive by Heidnick would receive a daily beating. If there were time when he had to leave the house, he would place one of the captives in charge of everyone. When he got back, he asked the woman he left in charge if any of the others had gotten out of line. If none of them had, they would all be beaten. He was the only winner in this twisted game of his. Holy fuck. Yeah, there was no winning for these women. Um, you know, on a serious note, I think I like your fucking Nazi doctor better than I like this dude. You know what? I kind of like my Nazi doctor a little bit better. You know? Next, 
Jacqueline Askins was yet another 18-year-old prostitute that Heidnick was able to lure to his house as he did the others. When he got her to the house, he took her to his room upstairs, had sex with her. When they were done, she got up to put her clothes on. He grabbed her from behind, began to choke her. Due to her slight stature, he had to use traditional handcuffs on her ankles as opposed to the shackles he had used on the others. When you consider that he kidnapped Jacqueline on January 18th, that would mean that Josefina, his original abductee, had been in his custody for nearly 52 days by then. Holy smoke. This means that she had missed Thanksgiving and Christmas with her children. It also means that she had been in his possession, so to say, the longest, and she had started to earn his trust on some level. Josefina had managed to convince him that she was starting to enjoy being part of his harem. Okay? Heidnik also started making some behavioral changes during this time. He went from having sex or forcing sex with his captive to watching them have sex with each other. After a while, he did let them bathe upstairs in the main part of the house. And when he did this, he would again have sex with them afterward himself, but not as often as he used to. Okay. Well, there's some respite there. Yeah. He had also made another change. He purchased, he purchased a portable commode for the women and placed it in the basement near the hole he held the women in. Along with the portable commode, he provided them with cleansing wipes to use as a way of bathing themselves when he didn't allow them to use the tub upstairs. Okay. Heidnik's pattern of feeding the women he held captive depended on his mood. On most days, he barely provided them cans of dog food to eat. However, as was the case of Josephina's birthday, he purchased them large meals and served champagne. Then, at one point, he added another comfort for the women. Oh, hold on. None of this is fucking making sense. That's what I was saying. None of this right now with, the, with this guy's behavior is making one goddamn bit of sense. <laughs> Could it be to his mental state, though? No, very well could be. I think he's schizophrenic, definitely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because this- what he's doing, the different variations to me, screams mental disorder. Oh yeah, you know. At one point, he did add another comfort for the women. He gave them a couple of mattresses that he placed outside the hole for them to crawl up and sleep on. Hmm. Okay. Um. Now he he claims his first victim. I mean, murder victim. Sometime in February 1987, Heidek found a reason to specifically focus his angry punishment on Sandy. On this particular day, he found she was captor number two. Mm-hmm. On this particular day, he found she had moved the planks that covered the top of the hole all of the women were held in. Now, the women did this a lot. Okay? Normally, he just beat the women when he caught them doing this. However, this time, he took Sandy, handcuffed one wrist, Hung her from that one handcuffed wrist from a wooden beam from his ceiling for days. Several days. Okay. At the time, he thought she was pregnant with his child again. And he attempted to force feed her so she wouldn't starve. Yet he never let her down. He force fed her pieces of bread. And while she was hanging from all while she was hanging from one wrist from the ceiling. After a few days of having her just hang there in the same position without anything to drink and barely anything to eat, she passed out. He handcuffed her and she just fell to the ground. Thinking she had passed out, he kicked her to try to get her to move. However, it was too late. She had already died. 
Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. Death just seemed to be one of the many things to fear in this house of horrors that Heidnick had built around him. Death by just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> you rolled your eyes. I did, because it just dawned on me what you meant. After Sandy was killed, the women soon heard the distinct sound of a power saw. That's when they knew for certain that he didn't plan to just dump her body somewhere. This point was confirmed when they witnessed Heidnick's dogs chewing a giant bone covered in raw flesh. The man also wanted to make sure that everyone partook in the murder, so he made Jacqueline cut one of Sandy's arms off her body. Heidnick had taken things to a whole new level when it came to a sick fantasy. When the whole neighborhood had begun to be permeated with a horrendous odor, the neighbors called the authorities. When the police showed up, he claimed the smell was caused by the roast dinner he had burned. Well, that was all it took for the young police officer to turn around with no more cause for alarm. This cop is obviously a fucking idiot. There's a big difference between the smell of a a burnt roast and And burnt flesh and burnt flesh and decay. Yeah. I mean, they said that he was a young cop. I don't know if that's because he was young or if he was just naive. You know what I mean? He was stupid as what the fuck he was. Yeah, I was being nice. But we see that with a lot of our uh, a lot of our cops. Yeah, they that, just turn around and walk away. Right. So many times we see him drop the ball, you know, uh, and I'll go back to like Carol Cole uh, and what happened. When he's sitting there telling the cops, hey, I'm the killer. I'm the dude. It's me. I've been in and out of mental institutions because I'm crazy <laughs> and I kill people and I'm crazy. And they're like... Um, Mr. Cole, you need to step aside. We're looking for the real yeah. killer here. Jumping up and down saying, me, me, me. Pick me like Horshack. Ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh. Yeah, exactly. And the cops are like, excuse me, sir. You need to step aside. We're trying to find a killer here. It's a, the, the, This case is a mystery. We'll never find the killer. Like, <laughs> she died naturally, yeah, damn it. She died naturally. I mean, yeah, there's there's marks around her neck. She's in a closet. She's wrapped up in a blanket. Almost like somebody's trying to hide the body, but that's all natural. It's all natural. <laughs> People wrap themselves like that up all the time. Just before they die. Yeah. So... Um, what that police officer didn't know <laughs> was that Heidnick was systematically grinding up Sandy's remains. Once he had a portion of her ground up, he took it and fed it to his dogs and the un- other women on the pretense of calling it dog food. I kind of figured that. Yeah. I saw that one coming. Yeah. So did I when I first started researching. I'm like, this is going to be gross. So the portion he couldn't make fit into the blender, he cooked on the stovetop, and that was the smell that the prompted the neighbors to call the police. Heidnick's schizophrenia was at an all-time high as well. The voices had him convinced that the women were planning to kill him before making his escape. Their escape, excuse me. He had to come up with a better way to keep them in line. That's when he began to stick sharp objects in their ears in an attempt to deafen them. He figured if they couldn't hear him coming, they couldn't act out, and therefore they could not escape. If by chance one did or all did defy him, he would show them what was left of Sandy that he had stored in his fridge and freezer. He attempted to do with them what he did with Sandy. He would hang each of them from the beam in his ceiling with a gag in their mouth. However, it didn't seem to work with the others as well, especially Deborah, the one who fought him tooth and nail in Mm -hmm. the beginning. She continued to defy him every chance she could, so he needed to come up with something different. That's when he filled the hole in the basement with water. 
He took a live wire, strip off the insulation, and with the bare live wire ready, he pushed Jacqueline, Deborah, and Lisa into the water pit and touched the wire to their shackles. He was electrocuting them. Well, yeah, that's kind of how a live wire works in yeah. water. Deborah received the worst of it, and it didn't take long for her to begin convulsing before she collapsed dead. Josefina was spared this torture because he now fully believed that she was his ally and that she would help him control the others. You just broke my heart, by the way, because I'm thinking Deborah's going to be the final girl. I know, me too. In in a horror movie, right? Yeah, I'm like all over here rooting for a girl. You go, Deborah, you fucking kick some ass, girl. I love you. You're fucking awesome. And now she's dead. Yeah, no, she was his second murder victim. Sorry, my heart's just fucking broke over here. I know. Now... She even showed, attempted to show her loyalty to him by aiding him in the electrocution of the others. Now, when Heidnick noticed that she was helping him, he forced her to write a letter detailing her participation in the murder of Deborah. After he forced her to sign the letter, he told her, and I'm quoting him, if you ever go to the cops, I can use this as evidence that you killed Debbie. Not that she helped him, but she had done the killing herself. Right. Okay. Now, after Heidnick had the signed letter in his hands, he told Josephine to go upstairs and change her clothes. She hadn't worn clothes for over four months. Nasty. Yeah. Well, she was naked the whole time. Oh, she hadn't. I thought you said she was no. wearing the clothes. No, she had not worn any clothes for four months. Oh. That's when she knew she had him where she wanted him. He was trusting her. In the next few weeks, weeks, Heidnick actually started taking Josephine out of the house with him during the day. He would take her shopping and out to eat. Not once did she try to run away, and not once did she try to signal for help. She's a smart girl. She was convincing him that she wanted to be with him. However, each time they would leave the house together, he would remind her that he had the letter and that she had signed. He kept telling her that in the event he was ever caught by the authorities... All he had to do was plead insanity, and she would take the blame for everything. Okay? I hope she didn't believe that bullshit. Well, you'll find out in a minute. When Deborah was dead, Josephina helped him take her body and hide it in the woods somewhere. A moment of silence for dead Deborah, by the way, because goddamn, I'm, I'm over here. I get stuck on some things, and that's just because of my own mental bullshit. I'm so disappointed that Deborah died, man. I know, huh? Because, you know, she's coming in. She came in like a wildfire. She's like, fuck you. She did. I'm going to take you down, she motherfucker. She came in like a wrecking ball, damn it. <laughs> exactly. That's the word I was looking for. I'm yeah. actually, I don't like the story anymore because Deborah died. You want uh, me to stop? No, you got to keep going. We need the episode. But <laughs> I was, I'm truly fucking saddened yeah. by this. Like, the other girls, like when Sandy, when you told me Sandy died, I'm all, hey, you know, that fucking sucks. It really does. Number two sucks. The other ones, you could have said that they died. I mean, you know what? That blows. That's really yeah. fucked up. But, but yeah. Deb, man, out of all the girls, we have plenty of victims going on. Yeah. But Deb's the one who dies. Yeah. Gary, you're a fucking prick. Yeah. Now, with two of his captives dead, he had to replenish his harem. On March 24th, 1987, he and Josephina traveled the streets of Philadelphia hunting for another sex worker for him to call his very own. Uh, this time they chose Agnes Adams. Agnes was somebody that Heidnick and Josephina both knew. Heidnick had also had many opportunities to abduct this woman in the past, but he had chosen not to until that point. When they got Agnes back to the house, he did the same to her that he had done to the other woman. He had sex with her, and then as she was getting dressed, he grabbed her from behind, slapped some handcuffs on her wrist, and he then proceeded to drag her downstairs where he threw her into the pit. 
The only thing that was different this time was Josephina was sitting in the kitchen the entire time, not down in the pit like she used to be. Okay? Because she's a smart girl. Now, I am sad about Deb, but I'm kind of liking the way Josephina's playing the game. Yeah. Because, it's, it, you know, she, she figured out how to survive. Well, that's what they say. Uh, what's her name did? Um, smart? Yeah. Yeah. That she started to make him believe that, you know, she wanted to be with him. And also uh, that girl they found in the backyard in that shed, that soundproof shed that was in the backyard of that man and woman who had, she had two daughters by him. My brain I can't remember her name blank. right offhand. Huh. And it's going to kill me. Um, J.C. Dugard. It's not ringing a bell. I'll oh. have to read about her. Yeah. So the date finally arrived where Josephina actually convinced him to let her go see her children alone. She promised him that if he let her go, she would bring back another woman for his harem. Since his plans to procreate with the women he already had captive weren't working, he had to have more. So his greed superseded anything else that so he and he let he conceded to her request. Okay. <laughs> Heinick even drove her to the apartment and dropped her off the evening he let her see her children. He told her she had a certain amount of time to visit with them. Then she was to walk to a nearby gas station and he told her that he would come and pick her up there. After Heinick dropped Josephina off and drove away, she walked to the door slowly and knocked. Her boyfriend Vincent opened the door and was shocked to see her. He thought she'd run away, leaving him and the children behind. After all, she'd been gone for four months. Nothing heard from her. Right. When she was inside, she told him everything. And at first, he thought she'd gone crazy. Which this I can pretty, see a to crazy a certain story. extent. Yeah. Yeah. However, when she kept begging him to contact the authorities, he went to the payphone down the street to do so. The police came, but Hold they... On. Have we explained what a payphone is to our younger listeners? Not this episode, no. Okay. <laughs> a payphone... Boys and girls is an old-fashioned phone that you had to put money in, and it was in public to make a call. Yeah, you know, it was located outside. <laughs> and a phone booth is where Superman changed from Clark Kent into Superman. So, just saying. <laughs> but by the eighties, they didn't have so many phone booths. I mean, they had a few, but not a whole few. Lot. Yeah. Hmm. Said a few, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways, when the police showed up, they too doubted her claims. She knew she was running out of time, that her life as well as the lives of the other women depended on her convincing him, them that she was telling them the truth. The only way she could think to get them to believe her was to show them the deep wounds, the wounds around her ankles from where the chains had dug into her skin, almost exposing the bone. Upon seeing that, they had no choice but to believe her story, no matter how far-fetched it seemed to them. Okay. Once they started to believe her story, it didn't take the authorities long long to get over to 3520 North Marshall Street. When they knocked on the door, he answered it himself. As soon as he opened the door, they were hit with a horrendous odor from inside. The lieutenant on the scene gave his men orders to arrest him at once. Then he and Josefina went straight to the basement. After the others were rescued, they were given immediately immediate medical care from the EMTs at the scene before they were taken to the hospital. Once the women were safely on the way to the hospital, away from the house on the way to the hospital, the police started to search the premises. At first, they were looking for more captives or victims. However, they didn't know what they found would be far worse. Um, 
They found Sandy's charred bones in the oven, her forearm in the freezer, and several other body parts that were collected and used as evidence against Heidnick during his trial. Okay? On April 23rd, 1987, Heidnick went to court. He was being charged with, get this, oh my God, it's a plethora. He was being charged with murder, rape, kidnapping, assault, indecent exposure, unlawful restraint, involuntary sexual intercourse, false imprisonment, and a slew of other charges. Almost as many as the men who I almost had to sit on a jury against. Wait a minute. Wouldn't involuntary rape, involuntary rape, or involuntary sex be the same as rape? Um, I'm wondering if the involuntary sexual inquiries is him forcing them to have sex with each other. Oh, okay. I don't know for sure. I'm just speculating. Okay. No, that, 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 would, that would actually fucking make yeah. sense. Okay. So, during the proceedings, he tried to claim that the women were already living captive in his basement when he purchased the house from the previous owner. Yeah, okay, no, I can see that. It came with, uh, with, with, with a bunch of hookers inside of a pit. Huh, I see that. That's legit. Let Gary go. That Is makes that sense. considered an amenity? Exactly. This house here comes with a range, a refrigerator, wooden floors, hookers in your basement. <laughs> and I'll take it. I Perfect. Know. In addition to the mountain of physical evidence, each of the women offered their personal testimony against their captor. Josephina's would be the most damaging testimony as she gave precise details when she related what had happened to both Sandra and Deborah and how they were murdered. She even admitted to her participation during Deborah's execution. So she didn't even try to hide it. She shouldn't have to. And, and here's why. I can tell that Josephina is a smart cookie. Uh-huh. Because... Even with a signed letter and everything like that, given the circumstances, mm-hmm. it's a matter of survival. Um, I can't remember what the law is. God damn it. My fucking brain isn't working. Um, 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 choice of evils. Okay. And I, I, I actually learned this because for a little, little bit of a while, I actually wanted to try to practice law. Um, that I realized I don't want to go to law school because I don't like lawyers. I was going to say why. Because, you know, did they take it away from your guitar? Probably, Yeah. <laughs> So, let's say that, uh, let, let's take a simple law. Mm-hmm. This was actually explained to me by an attorney. Um, speeding, okay? Going mm-hmm. 15 miles over the speed limit or more is reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's illegal. Right. We, we know that. It's actually a criminal offense. However, now you're doing 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, but you're getting somebody to a hospital. Right. Choice of evils. Mm-hmm. You're, you're breaking the law with a... Because there's something more important at that moment than that law. True. True. I was, I was just trying to think exactly what Roger was telling me and explained it to me, but I can't because I'm brain dead today. Yeah, well, not everybody's as smart as I am. What, smart ass, maybe, but that's about it. Anyways, so when Lisa gave her testimony, though, she accused Josephina of being a willing participant in their torture. She said it went far beyond simply trying to gain Heidnick's trust so that they could all escape. Yet Jacqueline jumped to Josephina's defense and backed up her statement about building trust to get out of the house to find help. Oh, it sounds like Lisa's just a twat. Well, I think that there was a lot of resentment there. No problem. Well, I can see that because, you know, you're, if you're being allowed to go upstairs and shower and hang mm-hmm. out up there and you're not really in the pit. And all these other women are known prostitutes and she wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So Okay, no, I can, I can see why, yeah. Yeah, the evidence collected from the house read like it was Hannibal Lecter shopping list. Are you ready? There were thigh and arm segments, skin and muscle. Each item was wrapped as if they were cuts of beef from the butcher. There were 27 pounds of body parts in all. Damn, Still you, left. Oh, it's just saying you only got 27 pounds out of that girl? No. The defense team did its best to garner testimony from various doctors and psychiatrists that would claim that, he, that Heidnick was insane. The problem with all of this effort was that Heidnick's lead attorney was trying to paint a picture that placed Josephina as the true culprit rather than another victim. Especially when it came to the murder of Deborah and Sandy both. That's when the judge looked at the defense team and basically told them that if he was in fact capable of getting one of the women to help him, then he had all of his faculties about him. The judge also <laughs> insisted that since he was able to acquire, acquire a total of over $500,000 in his bank account at that time, proved he wasn't insane either, especially when Heidnick's financial advisor was subpoenaed to testify to his shrewd investment practices, which means not insane. Not crazy. Not crazy. When the trial was over and the jury deliberated for 16 hours on July 1st, 1988, Gary Heidnick, Gary Michael Heidnick was found guilty on all charges. After the punishment phase, he was given the death penalty. A little over 11 years later, on, Jan- on July 6th, 1999, he was put to death by a lethal inject- injection. His ending was as it should be since nobody claimed his remains. He was unceremoniously cremated and his ashes have yet to be claimed if they aren't disposed of already. Okay, look, jury for Gary there. Those are fucking rookie numbers, guys. I want, I want you guys to beat that four minutes. So nobody remember that. Nobody has been able to beat four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes is our, is our record. Mm-mm. Come on, let's get, let's get on that shit. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So, questions for you. Ready? You got questions? I'm going to hopefully have answers. This is the first question that we think everybody always asks us when they say, got a question for you. <laughs> Nature well, or nurture? I was just, well, I'm a Leo. and uh, <laughs> No. When somebody says, got a question for you now, Scott, what do you always say? I think it's nature. Maybe a little bit of nurture, but a, lot of, a whole lot of fucking nature. He's got so many fucking mental problems going on mm-hmm. that were untreated. And you, you know, so, you know. Uh, Plus his brother had a history. Right, so you have a family history of of psychosis. Mm-hmm. You top that with something that is fairly innocuous, right? Which what I'm talking about is, is his dad hanging the sheets outside so everybody knows he beat himself. As an adult, we get over that shit. Like I got over right. my mom saying, "Hey, I caught you masturbating. You're jerking off." Um, you know, but you add that to mental disabilities. And I'm not. I'm not saying that he that 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 he didn't have enough faculties to make the right choices. Right. I'm saying that um, he did those things because he was hearing voices. Yeah. Right. I agree with you. I mean, I agree with you almost 100. percent. Um. Now, do you think he started the twer- church to feed his need to be worshipped? In a sense. No. I think it was all money. I think I think that way. In that way, Gary and I kind of think the same. When because he could have made it exactly, it could have been total like uh, nonprofit. Yeah, that's exactly how you do it, man. Yeah, it's so easy to fucking file and, and create a nonprofit church in this yeah. country. 
It is literally one of the easiest well, things that you can ever do. I'm probably going to get sued and murdered for this, but look at what Church of Scientology did. That is true. I mean, like I said, I'll probably get sued and murdered, and people, or I they will do anything shit. to defame my character. <laughs> but what harm are they going to do, really? Hey, careful, man. Those space aliens are going to come up from the ground and get you. Down from the sky. You can't do space from the ground. Oh, okay. Down down from the sky. Whatever. Now, do you think that that's why he started to abduct women and keep them hostage? Or do you think he truly wanted to have a family? No. It had nothing to do with it. It had to do with... Power and control, huh? Power, control, and sex. And sex is the ultimate form of control. It really is. Let's... Okay, so let's talk something that's a little fetishy since we're talking Fetish Friday, right? Very. Let's talk the dominant-submissive relationship. Right. We kind of got into this on Tuesday's episode with Worrell and Miller. Right. The dominant isn't the one who's actually who actually has all the control. Right. It's the submissive. But it's very much a dominant and, you know, uh, it's, it's very much a control situation. Because at any time, the submissive can use a safe word, and you have to stop. That's the fucking rules. Oh, that's true. If you it's know? done appropriately. Right. Right. And, you know, you kind of you kind of agree on the activities that you're going to be doing right. beforehand. It's not like, you know, you're going to say, okay, I don't know what you're going to do to me, so use a flogger on my ass and stick a broomstick at my ass. You know, these are things you talk about first. No, but this mutual friend of ours was telling me how he, he when he used to drive Uber... He had this couple that was going to the uh, BDSM oh, yeah. thing, and yeah, he yeah. was telling me how one of them was actually literally a dog, kind of like a submissive man on his hands and knees and blah, blah, blah. And uh-huh. I was just like, holy fuck tons. I saw one where, and I, I'll try to find the video and, and shoot you. It's on YouTube somewhere, where these guys dress up like horses. You showed me. I did, yeah. Where and the and these you know chicks are like go you know, hitting them with riding crops and they're pulling sleds and all kind of carriages and shit. Yeah. And one guy goes, says, "Well, I give her some problems, so I get spanked a lot because I'm a bad pony." I'm, ha, 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 that's awesome. Yeah, he did it on purpose to get spanked. Okay, he has yeah. to stand over here because he has to get in what he, what we call his pony zone. I'm, okay, this is awesome. Pops of popcorn. This is this is the <laughs> shit right here. We need to keep watching this. There's actually whole events around this. Yeah, there are. It's a fucking trip, man. That's what I was just like, holy shit. Um, so this is my next question, and I'm only asking it for a friend. No. Just to throw it out there. Do you believe Josephina truly displayed her devotion as a ruse to manipulate him to escape? Or do you think that she had somehow had a form of Stockholm syndrome? I think it was a ruse. Okay. And let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because she actually went to the, to the trouble of gaining an... Okay, let's say you have me trapped, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't blame me because I'm awesome. And you don't, you know, you know that... Okay, I need to earn your trust. Right. Enough trust, if I plan this out, for you to take me home. To my family. To my family, who hasn't seen me in four fucking months. And trust that I will come back to you. Exactly. This is a ruse, man. Because at any time, it, 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 she could have like killed him, right? She could have stabbed him, right? If it was a form of Stockholm, I think, or or anything where she was a willing participant, you have that on the table, and then you have that. Uh, you know, she could have uh, bailed before that. She could right. have found a way. There, there, there would have been a way to to 
to kind of uh, uh, incapacitate him. Right. And then also take into consideration, too, and like I said, I was just throwing this question out there. Um, take into consideration, too, that as soon as she got away from him and was with her family, she immediately said, call the police. Oh, I need yeah. help. Yeah, exactly. She didn't hesitate. Yeah, there wasn't no, oh, well, it's... Funny story, honey. This is what happened. Yeah. He's like, dude, this is what happened. Call the motherfucking cops now. Yeah, I don't have time. Yeah. because yeah, And that, that was the, something that stood out to me. Is she knew that the time was limited because, A, she had limited time she could be away, and, B, these girls were about ready to die. Yeah. Yeah, she couldn't afford to go back without somebody there. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I agree with you. Like I said, I was just throwing it out there because some people would have. Would have thought that, so... Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hip to the scene. Yeah. So, but that's all I have. Do you have any questions for me? I do not. Oh, okay. We covered it all. You did good this time. See, I told you I could get through it pretty quickly. Cool. Are you proud of me? A little bit. All okay. right, boys and girls, this has been Brutal Nation. Remember that you can send us an email at... <clears throat> sorry. Brutal Nation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. I, that's what I thought it was. My brain went... I was getting ready to do BrutalNation.cast. But uh, yeah, BrutalNation at, at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website, www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Click on that Amazon button that we supply for you. It helps out the show. It doesn't cost you anything extra. Check out our blogs on Hub Pages and uh, Medium and Vocal Media, as well as Crime Beat, which is on Medium. Medium, right? Crime beat? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I got that right. Because you blinked out on me for a minute. No, I was looking at something else. All right. Remember, y'all, be kind to each other. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.